0: Ms. Christy Woods is on the uh, Chamber of Commerce, sorry, uh, and uh, Old Habits Hard to Break, and so the, uh, but has a, just a description, something she'd like to share, some good news with some of our church members that uh, you may not be aware of, and most of you probably do, but it's a, it a pretty neat honor, so just come right on up here.
1: I didn't know I was going to be first. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce banquet was held on Tuesday night, and usually in January, they send the chamber sends out a sheet to all of the uh, members of the chamber, and you're asked to nominate a man of the year, woman of the year, spirit award, and um, business of the year. So. Once those are turned back into the to the chamber (laughs) I'm usually loud enough. (laughs) um, Once these are turned back into the chamber office, then the chamber board votes on those as nominees. Uh, So um, this year, Promise Land got an award. So I'm going to read what um, I read Tuesday night at the banquet. And it's It's neat because we try really hard to keep it a surprise. And so as you're, as I'm reading this, y'all will know exactly, so. This organization came together in August of 1863. It began with 11 charter members, five men and six women. Today there are 450 members. Throughout the last 150 years, this organization has and continues to receive its spirit by seeking a higher power. One way it shows its spirit is through music. It has something for all ages, from tiny tots singing "This Little Light of Mine" to adult singing when we all get to heaven. It is very blessed that people are willing to use their talents. Another way it has a very spirited staff. Whether it's a basketball skit at the talent show at the Armadillo Festival or writing an article in the weekly newspaper, this group has it covered. With this spirited staff and volunteers, they are able to minister around 170 students and adults in their Awana studies on Wednesday nights and involve 5 to 600 people on Saturdays during the upper basketball sports season. Talk about spirit, obviously there's more than popcorn popping at these basketball games, and the cheerleaders are definitely cheering for someone special. I can't leave out the ambitious cooking crew. This outreach group may be found serving breakfast to the football team, giving a spirited devotion, or at CU at the pole, enjoying testimonies from our middle school or high school students. They also fix supper for the high school seniors during project graduation. If you haven't guessed the spirited organization yet, it's Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church. The church is blessed with a great staff, awesome members, and wonderful volunteers who desire to show community spirit by serving the Lord, by serving others. They sacrificially give of their time and talents to share the word of God with all ages. May the Lord receive all the honor and glory of the spirited group. And the 2013 group spirit award goes to Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church. And Trey was there, so I was able to present this plaque to Trey. So this is for the church.
0: That was a really neat uh, presentation, Christy, and thank you for coming up here. And she was brave for getting up here and reading that. And and uh, that's a neat award. There's no one person in our church that can that can take credit for this. And this is a total team effort, uh, from the youngest to the oldest, uh, the cooking crew, the people involved in our Wednesday night ministries. My goodness. And uh of course the other ministries that we have upward is a big hit. We just finished our fourth year, uh just a, in just a tremendous number, about a hundred uh participants. Well that brings in of course their families and then everything that goes along with that. So it's just everything. Anytime I love our the little things we've done, uh, the whether it be feeding the teams or Cooking those sausage biscuits and getting the drinks together for the once a year, we can't be involved. We have to sit back, talking about see you at the poll. That is a neat student-led ministry, and so we support them and pray for them. We can't be directly involved, but we sit over there with our table, and we try to deliberately pass out biscuits and just you know tell them we're praying for them to those students that come early. And then we have a plenty of leftovers, and we're handing them to teachers and bus drivers and that sort of thing. That's a really neat outreach, and I appreciate all the guys, all the ladies, everybody that makes that possible in our community. If there's anything being said good about Promised Land, it's because of all y'all sitting out there. And so just thank everyone. Just continue to remember our church and your prayers and a lot of things. And... Um, Of course, after the baptism, I believe the choir has a great number for us, and so we'll be looking forward to that. has a special
2: this morning. I saw an old friend at the market standing in the checkout line. She began to share her story and then I told her mine. It was clear we both knew heartache. So before I turned to go, we made a simple promise that would lighten both our loads. I'll pray for you, you pray for me, and together we'll touch heaven. Our knees. Anything can happen in His name when we agree. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. It's a privilege and an honor. To know that God is there, and His God is full attention, anytime and anywhere. Sometimes when we're talking, the conversation turns to you, as your name and needs are mentioned. God lifts my spirits too. I'll pray for you, you pray for me, and together we'll touch heaven from our knees. Anything can happen in his name when we agree, I'll pray for you. You pray for me, I'll pray for you, you pray.
0: What an awesome morning so far, and uh, just just going to continue to get better. God is responsible for any blessings that we may have. I want to speak this morning on the subject of what kind of Savior do we have, and uh, a great story that's found in John chapter 8, and I invite you to open your Bibles. You can follow along, of course, in your... Your Bible or upon the screen, either one, and in that story, I just want to pick out a verse that uh, where we're going to start out with is is a verse that we think about in our life, how we react whenever we have to deal with imperfect people in the world that we live in. Jesus also deals with all of us are sinners, every one of us. So how do how do how do you coincide this with a with a great Savior, Jesus, a holy God? How, how do you rationalize those two things? Uh, sin cannot be in the presence of God uh, without some sort of filter or curtain. There was always a cloud, a fire, a curtain of something between. Uh, The priest in the Old Testament, different things. When Moses dealt with God, there was always a fire, a cloud, uh, uh, his glory. It was a filter of some sort. Matter of fact, God, one time Moses needed some encouragement. He said, I just need to see you personally. He said, you can't see me and live, but I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and you can see behind me. You can see the backside of me. And uh, it's just an interesting Thing about how holy God is And how that we are as sinful people How does only through Jesus Can this be taken care of And so would you stand for the reading Of God's holy word This one, one verse This one passage <clears throat> In John 8, 7 So when they continued asking him He lifted up himself and said unto them he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Father, I thank you for this awesome morning you've blessed us with. I thank you for people that are responding to following you, to wanting to do for you, to serve you, and to serve others. That's what it's all about, because that's what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Standing for God's holy word. Uh, There's a couple of, in your bulletin, I think it says to look at a statue. And I want to talk about these uh, statues. Many of you have seen the statue on the left. It's called Christ of the Ozarks. It's the one up in Eureka Springs and the same park as the Great Passion Play. And uh, the other one is called the Christo Redeemer. And uh, it is the statue in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And there's some interesting things about these statues. The the one on the left is almost 70 feet tall. A lot of people have been uh, there's been I read one criticism of it it this week while I was preparing this and getting this uh, illustration, and that is that they said it looks like a because it's right from the front, it's so square shaped. Uh, the body is, anyway, just straight up and down. And uh, there's one, uh, that particular shot's from an angle. But uh, it's, it was put up in 1967, so it's been up as long as I've been alive. That's the year I was born. And anyway, it's just a neat statue. One great thing about this one, one neat thing, is that it's got pupils. And, and it looks like, no matter where you're standing in front of you, look up at it. It looks like Jesus is looking at you, no matter where you stand or how far away you stand. The one on the <clears throat> the one on the right has had similar criticism for different things, but a lot of people love it. It becomes a mon- monument. You see, it's resting on a pedestal or a base. But <clears throat> anyway, even without the pedestal, it is uh, almost a hundred feet tall. It's ninety eight uh, feet tall, not including the 26-foot pedestal, and uh, so, and also from tip to tip on its fingers, both of them have the same pose, which is uh, basically to symbolize the crucifixion, what Jesus did, and that is, uh, it is <clears throat> almost that wide. It is 92 feet wide. It's kind of an optical illusion with that being on the pedestal, but it's almost as wide as it is tall, and so 97 Feet tall, just the statue itself, 92 feet wide from fingertip to fingertip. The interesting thing about this particular criticism, and you can't see it in this picture, barely see it a little bit, but the eyes, there's no pupils in it. And there's, so you really, it looks like it's got a blank stare, just a glazed look, but there's also a heart engraved by the architect of this one. Matter of fact, the fellow that helped design that one and build that one worked on Mount Rushmore. It's a pretty neat fact. But the reason I want to talk about this, is because I asked the question in my title, what kind of Savior do we have? And the criticisms that have been levied against these statues is well, the one on the left is plain, the one on the left just looks like a, a milk box with arms. And uh, somebody said. The one on the right said, you know, as I look at that and there's almost, uh, there's over, today, there's over seven million people in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And, and it's looking, it's out, it's over there looking over Brazil. It's looking over that great city. And it supposedly represents, of course, Jesus Christ and how that he is, uh, <clears throat> the savior. But one particular writer put it this way, he says, you know, I look up and I see a, I see, eyes that can't see it. They don't even portray being able to see, especially like the one on the left. And I think about, you know, what, what kind of savior do we have today? Many people want to treat him like a good luck charm. Many many people want to treat him in other ways. And thinking about a savior also, you know, the, those statues are made out of stone. Our savior is made out of compassion and love. Not out of a hard heart, a cold stone heart, but our Savior is not like those. And I know those are just statues, just representations, but they can mean, they can represent a lot of ways the way people view Jesus today. Unfeeling, uncaring that he can't see my problems, he doesn't know what I'm going through Eyes that can't see, but that's one reason God says don't make idols. Now, you can, those don't have to be an idol, but some people could worship, you can worship anything. You can worship recreation. You can, I love sports, so I could worship sports if I want to. I do love that. A lot of people love other types of recreation. But many people want to treat Jesus like a, like a rabbit's foot redeemer. What does that mean? Well, a rabbit's foot, I've seen those. You remember when they were real popular? And they, a lot of people, to use a, they said a the rabbit's foot was a good luck charm. You have a rabbit's foot, that's lucky. Kind of like a four-leaf clover, you find that and to put it in. And a lot of people want to treat Jesus like a good luck charm. Pocket size, handy, easily accessible. Man, I'm pissing to scratch off some lottery tickets. Don't play the lottery, I'm just using that as an illustration. And, uh, whoop, let me rub my rabbit's foot right before I do this. You know, or any time, I just want him handy, easily accessible, and I can put him away when I don't need him. You know, his specialty, when you think about if you have, a, if you look at Jesus like this, his specialty, I'll pull him out when I get in a jam. Whenever I have a problem, I'll pull him out. If I need help on a quiz, it's okay to pray, but don't just pray when you need help on a quiz. But a lot of people treat Jesus that way. They pull him out whenever he's, they think, well, I need him now. I need I need that good luck now. I need that now. A lot of people want to do that, they, but they don't want to obey Him. They just pull Him out on the spot when they need Him. Sometimes people treat Jesus or a redeemer, their redeemer, like an Aladdin lamp redeemer. Your wish is His command. I tell you what. I need a new job. I need a new wife. Rub the lamp. <laughs> You're up, you know, think about. I need a new ride. I want a new car, a new boat. You know, what's more is when people treat Jesus that way, they say, well, Jesus, I need this. Jesus, I need that. And they just treat Jesus like an Aladdin lamp. They rub the lamp out But guess what? If you treat Jesus that way, they say, well, could you go back in the lamp now? I don't need you right now. Or I don't want you to see this in my life. A lot of people want Jesus. They treat him like that. And then finally, and then some of the younger generation might not remember this, but they treat Jesus like a Monty Hall redeemer. All right, Jesus, let's make a deal. <clears throat> Keep that voice going. For 50 Sundays a year, I'll dress up, put on a tie and shirt, and I'll even endure sermons that the preacher throws at me. In exchange, I want the grace behind door number three. Okay? If any of you remember the show, let's make a deal. And so, but a lot of people treat Jesus that way. In other words, I, I want to make a deal with Jesus. I, and that's the way I treat him. But all these redeemers. Are redeemers of no challenges, no commitment, and definitely no sacrifice. Part of the, and before we get back to our main text and thinking about this, how he dealt with this woman. Head to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. What kind of savior is Jesus? The book of Hebrews in just a couple of passages describes what kind of savior you and I have. It says in Hebrews 2, 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, which means whenever he gave him a body. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and you set him over the the works of thine hands. Did you know Jesus, according to the Bible, participated in creation? It's pretty neat if you read the book of Colossians. Verse 8. But we see, uh, but excuse me, thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Which means this, one day Jesus will rule and reign on this earth. Right now he rules in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Verse 9. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels, why did Jesus whenever he was in heaven before he became incarnate, which means he put on flesh, where was he? He is up in heaven. He had a crown. He's the Son of God. He took off the crown. He took off his kingly robe and says, I'll go down there and be their redeemer. He said, Well, you gotta start from the beginning. I know a servant girl, and she is highly qualified. And I'll place you in her and let you grow up in their own body so that you can be a savior for man. And that means mankind. Notice it says this. Why did God do this? Why did God make him this kind of redeemer? It says a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should do what? Taste death. For every man. Now head to Hebrews chapter 12 and just a couple more scriptures and then we'll get back to the story of the woman. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. The writer of this book, Hebrews, continues to describe describe Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame, the spit, the ripping of the beard, the beating of his face. One time when they were beating him, they put a a hood or a garment over his face, and they and they would hit him and they'd slap him. The Bible says in the King James version anyway, it says smite. That just means slap, strike, hit. It it means so it doesn't matter how they were hitting him. They were. Hitting him, They said, "Well, since you are the Son of God, just tell us what who hit you? Who hit you?" Of course, most of the time he answered not a word, despising the shame, and is set down now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners. Why? He was taking all the sin of everybody that's ever going to live, and it was placed upon who? Jesus, who's what? Sinless. That's the contradiction. Against himself, lest you be wearied and faint. That means give up. He's trying to encourage these. Don't give up. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood. In other words, you haven't had to give your life yet. The people reading this book, striving against sin, where as long as you're alive, you and I are going to strive against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Which tells me this, that uh, I've got a Savior who loves me, but if I need, after you become His child, if I, if I love my children, I'm going to correct them. And if God loves you, He's going to correct us also. So He loves you, yet He wants to correct you. Why? Because He wants you to follow Him. Well, we see this in Scripture. And now, think about our story. How does He relate to people today? Well, head to John, our text. John chapter 8. <laughs> Let's just take a quick peek at this early morning scene at the temple in Jerusalem. In verse 1, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. Well, what's happening? This is just another day in Jesus' life. And... Uh, I I can imagine this scene. He had been up on the Mount of Olives, he'd probably come over the hill. He may have been staying at Bethany, we're not sure. Uh he may have just went up there to pray, get away for a little while, and as he's coming down, it's real the, the sun's just coming up behind him. Because whenever you're going from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, the that's your back is to the east. And so the sun's coming up, it's just behind him. You know, the roosters are crowing, they're singing their Melody, birds are chirping, everything's waking up, dogs are starting to bark. All of a sudden you see this peddler walking down the street and he's getting his wares ready to set up because they peddled everything over there even in Jesus' day. And and so everything's getting ready. He wanders into the courtyard of the temple. And he sat down and there's a crowd begins to gather. And I imagine this horseshoe-shaped crowd around Jesus that day. As they sat down and they waited for a sermon. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what he's speaking about. But he's speaking. And all of a sudden, an angry mob comes storming into the scene. The mob is made up of religious leaders and elders of the day. And as you look at verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they're going to say something, but I just want to talk a a minute about this woman. You know, as they threw her in the middle of the crowd, and she's struggling to keep her balance, and she's stumbling and falling, she's scantily dressed, and just a few minutes earlier, according to these witnesses, she had been in bed with a man that wasn't her husband. Now, we don't know if she did this for a living, or was she... Just Had she just given in to temptation and the warm touch of a stranger? We don't know exactly her situation. We don't know her background. But as they took this woman and they threw her in the midst, and she's wondering what's going to happen to her. She barely had time to cover herself. She's now thrown into this crowd of strangers. But Let's look at the crowd real quick in verse 4. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What do you say? You know, in this crowd, these these accusers found her and and they said, well, you know what? The law says now we we got to stone her. You know, I was thinking about that. So I said, you know what I need to do? I need to get me some rocks. We got a sinner here that needs to be stoned. And uh, I think about this scene. I try to imagine it because as I imagine this scene with this, these, this crowd and this one woman and the circumstances in which she was taken. And I wonder... You know, if any of us would like to join in on this, anybody want to rock today? Any volunteers? I got plenty. I got more up there if you need any. Nobody want to rock. Nobody wants to join in. Well, the, those uh, elder people, they looked at this woman. They started gathering rocks. The younger folks started picking up rocks. They said the crowd, the law says to stoner." And uh, you know, and this this woman, she's really worried at this point in time. She doesn't know what's happening, and they're thinking, well, what's next? What's going to come next? As this woman sitting there on the ground, and and maybe starting to kneel up or to stand up, and she looks around the crowd, and and this these people are saying, you know, to to kill her, to take her life, and they're and. And the crowd is saying, you know, and the, and the people that brought her are kind of smirking. They say, well, now we've set the trap. And let's let the mouse go for the cheese. Because they were wanting to trick Jesus. Because they were, every time they did this, they were trying to come up with an accusation against him. They were cocky with borrowed courage. And they were waiting to see what Jesus would do. The woman looked around and she saw hate in all of their eyes until she landed on Jesus. But then she saw in Jesus' eyes, not the eyes of a cold stone statue that we saw earlier. But can you imagine this? When Jesus looked at, excuse me, when this woman looked at Jesus, what what did she see? I think she saw eyes that said, just hang on. Everything's going to be okay. I've got this. He then distracted the audience by stooping down and beginning to write on the ground. I love the verse in verse 6. It says this, and they said this, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger on the ground as though he heard them not. I think about Jesus as he was thinking about this woman. And this, you know, the Bible says in... Psalms 139, 13, it says that he possessed my reins in the womb, which means literally he knitted, we were knitted together in the womb. The next verse says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, <clears throat> like an artist or a musician, we've got a lot of musicians in here. And if you've, I know Ronnie, he writes songs and music and uh, you're trying to find that perfect Word that perfect note. If you're an artist, I know Brother Tommy paints, and whenever he paints, he's trying to find that exact shade. Miss Frances is now painting, and she's wanting that painting to look just right. And, she's, but, and that's the way Jesus is with us. When he created you, he created you to worship him. And when you were knitted in the womb of your mom by God the Creator, he had a plan for your life. And Jesus didn't look at the woman and see her as a sinner, but as a sinner who could be set free. The reaction that we see, the statement that Jesus made, these accusers were persistent. They kept hounding him because look at verse 7, which is our text again. When they continued asking him, he's busy writing on the ground. A lot of people wondered, what did Jesus write He lifted himself up and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And there, you know, and this is the greatest thing in the world. Basically, Jesus stood up and said, You know what? Anybody in this room without sin, let them be the first ones to cast the stone. And he stooped back down and he started writing again. And the crowd began to shuffle. Someone cleared their voice, their throat as if to speak, but nobody said a word. And beginning with the grayest hair to the blackest beard, the woman began to hear, and the crowd began to leave. Until everybody was gone. Then Jesus said this. A woman looked up and she was amazed. She saw Jesus. And he said, woman, where are thine accusers? And she, he, she said, they're not here. And he said, you know what? I've got two things I need to tell you right now. Two things. I call it a promise and a commission. And the promise is this. Neither do I condemn thee. The commission, go and sin no more. Which tells me two things. Number one, we serve a loving and forgiving God. And He wants to forgive you and give you a brand new start. But He also stands against sin. And He says, right is right and wrong is wrong. And you can harmonize those. Somebody says, well, I can sin because God will forgive me. No, He hates it when we sin. And he, like I read in Hebrews, He will chastise us. He, because why? He wants us to live right. He'll still forgive us, yes, but we should not exploit that grace. What kind of redeemer do we have? Not a cold, hard-hearted one. If uh, I imagine this scene, uh, we're not told about this scene in the Bible. If this woman would have went to the cross, say she finally heard and it got around that 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 same man who got you out of that jam and who forgave you is they're crucifying him right outside the city wall over there. She went there and she looked up. She said, That's him. And if she looked over there at Jesus' hands as they were hanging on the cross, she'd say, That's him, because you know why? His hands were the only hands that held no stones that day. And today, for you, he still holds no stones. He can be your Redeemer and your Savior. And as he began to finish his course, remember he said these words, the same words she heard. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And guess what he told the woman that day? I forgive you. I don't condemn you. Go live for me. Without sinning, it doesn't mean we stop being sinners, but to live for Jesus. Would you accept this Redeemer? Maybe your heart is hard. Maybe it's cold. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I, I need to. Maybe you're walking around, not literally with a stone in your hand, but maybe you have one metaphorically, which means this. A lot of times we are accusers rather than forgivers. We love to, to, to see the wrong in others because it makes us feel better. Well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. Would, would you mind coming up here and just during the altar or whatever, and you want to place your rock and just say, I, I don't want to carry these rocks anymore. I want to be the same kind of person that Jesus is. I don't need to carry stones. The kind of Savior we have is a loving one, a forgiving one, a just one, and a righteous one as we prepare for Him imitation. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer, Father? I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would just take your holy word May people realize and see how much You love them. That You offer forgiveness and grace. That You don't condone our sin. That You do forgive. You want us to live a life separate. Not like the world and having morals of it, but living a life pleasing to You. Help us to give those stones away this morning. And say, I, I want to reflect Jesus in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.